Thank you for that, <coughs> Warren. I'm glad you uh, managed to work out which word was which word. <laughs> circumcised versus uncircumcised. Uh, it's actually good to be back, people. Uh, even though I've been away for four or five weeks, there's nothing nicer than coming back uh, to worshipping with your own church family. There is an outline in your order of services. You might want to pull that out. Uh, that will be helpful for you uh, as we have a look at this portion uh, of the Bible. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're going to look at Romans 4. Gracious God, we do thank you that you speak uh, in and through your word. Uh, we do thank you that you are present with us. And so we do pray as we open up the Bible this morning that you might meet us where we are. <clears throat> We're looking at a topic that for some of us here is quite familiar. But we pray, Father, you might bring these words from Romans 4 to renew and refresh our hearts and our minds this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, uh, I often say here at church, one of the great myths when it comes to the Bible uh, is that it's a book on how you get saved by being a good person. It's one of the great myths in society and culture today. Uh, the Bible is a book that gives you instructions on how you can get right with God, how you can be a better person to save yourselves, what you must do to save yourselves. Now, that could not be further from the truth, and it's so important to keep saying that, to keep reminding ourselves of that. Uh, because the Bible actually teaches the very opposite. The story of the Bible is about what God does to actually save us. What God does to make us right with Him. What God does to make our forgiveness possible. What God does to make atonement for our sin and our guilt. Now, the last few weeks, Romans 2 and Romans 3. Uh, Romans 2 and Romans 3 have unpacked for us two things. Our problem why we need saving, and God's solution, what God does to save, right? Our problem, why we need saving, and what God does to save, God's solution. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 4, but this is the context. It's so important to understand the context in terms of what's happening. Uh, Paul has just explained to us why we need saving, what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. And if you look at verse 24 and verse 25, it's there in your outlines as well. We read, all are justified freely, I love that word, freely by grace, by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, by faith in the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, freely. And then we read verse 28, justification comes by faith and not by works. Now that is Paul's point. An absolutely free way to be right with God has been made possible. And that's what justified means, right? To be declared right in right relationship, a completely free way to have your sins forgiven has been made possible. How? By faith in Jesus' work for you, and not by your works. Now, what Paul's going to do in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 12, is he's going to show us from the Old Testament why that statement is true. Uh, that salvation in the, in the storyline of the Bible has always been by faith, never by works. Justification has always been by faith. The way to be right with God is by trusting God's promise to save. Now, we're going to look at this under three headings. It's there in your outline. It's Abraham, David, and us. Okay, very straightforward. Uh, how was Abraham saved? By faith. How was David saved? By faith. How are we saved? By faith. That's basically the sermon. We can all go home now. But that, that, if you're going to take away anything, that's, that's the main point, right? 
Now, what, what's going to happen is Paul actually starts by using two key figures from the Old Testament. They, they are what I call, if you do my baptism class, I call Abraham like the big daddy of the Old Testament because he's like the patriarch. He ends all arguments when you look at him. Uh, and Paul starts with Abraham because Abraham is Israel's founding father. Okay? He's the rock from which the people of Israel are cut. And so he says, well, let's go way back to the roots, our roots in the Bible. Let's go to Abraham. And so he says, how was Abraham saved in the Old Testament? And if you look in your Bibles with me, verse 1 of verse 3, he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Right? The, the matter of salvation, justification. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so it's like, um, was Abraham justified? Was he made right with God? Did he secure God's forgiveness uh, by keeping the law? Was Abraham saved by keeping the commandment? And the answer is no. Uh, the law had not yet come. The law came much later under Moses. Did Abraham have anything to bring before God to merit God's acceptance and approval in his life? The answer is no. In fact, Abraham, if you know anything about the story of Abraham, the opening chapters of Genesis, Abraham brought nothing to God, did he? He wasn't a king. He had no power. He didn't have land. He didn't have a name. He didn't have a tribe or an army behind him. So it's not like, oh, God chose Abraham because Abraham had potential. No, he was a desert wanderer. That's who he was. In fact, Paul says, look at what the Bible says about Abraham in the Old Testament. And so he says, let's go back to Genesis 15, 6, because that's where it comes from. And so Genesis 15, 6, we read, it's repeated here in verse 3, Abraham believed God. He heard God's promise, he trusted God's promise, he had faith in God's promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, let me give you a bit of, bit of background uh, to the Genesis account of Abraham so you uh, are familiar. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Abraham, others might not be. Uh, Abraham, by the time you get to Genesis, uh, certainly Genesis 15, 6, Abraham is about 80 years old. His wife, Sarah, she could not have children, and so they are childless, uh, and she's beyond childbearing age, okay? Uh, but God made a promise to Abraham. Uh, way back in Genesis 12, verse 1 of verse 3, in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham three things. He would make Abraham into a great nation. He would actually give him a great name. And through Abraham, blessing would come to all the peoples of the earth. Okay, so this is, these are big promises, right? Uh, now, here's the thing. You can't be a great nation or you cannot have a great name if there's only one of you or two of you, right? You need people, lots of people. Uh, you need descendants and, and you need land to be a great nation, to have a great name, okay? So, so, so you, think of, uh, you, you think of you guys, right? Uh, so, so I think of uh, Veronica right there. It's not like, you know, Veronica uh, at home, right? The two of them as a couple in their apartment, they go, you know, we, we're going to be a great nation. Uh, we, we're going to be uh, a great land. You know, we're going to be a great nation. We're going to have a great name. And we're going to be blessing people's earth. How are they going to do that? Well, they need land. Well, they don't have land. They live in an apartment. Okay. And, and that's the reason why in the history of the world, you find that, uh, you know, you find that's why nations actually conquer because they acquire land. That's why they, they multiply because they, they want to be a great nation. So, so but, but with the story of Abraham, there's only two of them and they're childless. And so here's the problem, right? 
In Genesis 12, God makes this promise to Abraham when he was 75. We come to Genesis 15, and God repeats his promise to Abraham, and Abraham is now over 80 years old. Uh, Let me read to you verse 5, verse 6. It's there in your outline. God took him outside, and God said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Abraham then believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. He completely trusted the promise of God, that God would deliver on his promise, uh, and that he would have children, that he would be the father of a great nation with a great name that would bless the earth. And God's response to Abraham, notice Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4, 3, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's approval in God's eyes did not depend on his works, simply his faith. Abraham's relationship with God is established in response to Abraham's faith and trust in God's promise. And so God considers Abraham in the right because he trusted God's promise. It was credited to him as righteousness, even Abraham. Now, uh, those two words, credited, is mentioned about 11 times in Romans 4. The word righteousness, about eight times in Romans 4, which means they are very, very important words. So we want to make sure we understand those words and get them right, uh, because we're going to pick up more on this uh, next week as well. We're going to look at the remaining uh, half of Romans 4. Uh, To credit is a banking term, okay? It's a commercial term. It means something is put into your bank account. That's how the term is actually used. Uh, Sometimes Pauline and I, uh, we have to help our children with their expenses. Uh, that's what happens if you become a parent. Uh, like Aiden's really small right now, so he has no bank account. He doesn't ask you to pay stuff for him, so you don't put money into it. Well, maybe you do put money into his bank account for his future, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you put in, he'll still ask you for money, okay? And so sometimes they, they need help. Uh, they don't have enough money in their bank account. So what do we do? We make a funds transfer. We put money into their bank account. We credit their bank account. That's what we do. Um, with funds from our bank account. Now, this is what happens. God, in the same way, credits into Abraham's account righteousness. Not money, but righteousness, okay? A right standing. That's what it means. Abraham, you are in a right relationship with me because you believed, because you had faith in me, you trusted my promise. Okay, so that's the first word you need to pick up and understand. Now, there is a second word, and that's righteousness, Right? What is righteousness? Righteousness, uh, the best way I can think of explaining it, righteousness is like a performance record that validates you. Right? A performance record in your life that uh, justifies you. Uh, that a performance record effectively that opens the door, that lets you in, that get, gets you in, that gives you a standing or platform in life uh, that says you are smart enough, strong enough, beautiful enough, good enough. So uh, most of you here have a LinkedIn profile, right? It has a list of all your accomplishments, your academic background, your work achievement and experience. And notice what you do when you apply for a job. You take everything there to a potential employer, don't you? And you show it to them and you say, this is what justifies me. This is what qualifies me. Right? This is, this is my experience I've shown you makes me good enough, smart enough. My performance record validates or justifies my place in your organization. And if your performance record is good enough, what happens? You get in. The door opens. Now, I don't know whether you realize this. All of life, 
all of life works on the principle of justification by some form of works righteousness. Okay, it's not a religious thing, right? It's an everybody thing. All of life think. All of life works on the principle of justification by some form of works righteousness, a performance validating record. Do you know that? Acceptance is based on the principle of some form of works righteousness. Uh, your validation and worth is based on some principle, on the principle of some form of works righteousness. Uh, like, so, so think with me for a moment, right? Getting to a selective school. Some of you, I know you've come from selective schools. Getting to a selective school, you need good enough grades. A performance validating, rec- validating record that says you're smart enough. Uh, getting a loan from the bank for a home, and I know some of you have done that as well, trying to get uh, uh, home loans. You need a deposit, big enough deposit, and a job that pays a certain amount. A performance validating record that says you are financially strong enough. Uh, all of life works on the principle of justification by some form of work righteousness. Uh, where we bring our performance record to get in, uh, to justify our worth, our value, our standing, to secure our acceptance in life. And, it, and, and all of life works this way. Did you realize this? And so it's no surprise that people would think that it's the same when it comes to God. Except that it's not our academic performance or record that we bring. It's not our professional skills we bring. What do we do? We bring our morality. We bring our good works, right? Uh, Our religious practices, okay? Now, unfortunately, many people think that, that because that's how religion works, and certainly religion works that way, a lot of people think because that's how religion works, you clean up your life, you work to be a better person, you accumulate righteousness, like work experience. You accumulate righteousness, and only when you think you're good enough, you make the application before God. The majority of people actually think like that. But God, but, but Paul comes along, right? So Paul comes along now, Romans 4, and he says, no, friends, it doesn't work that way. God has never worked like that because when you go back to Abraham in the storyline of the Bible, in the opening chapters of the Bible, Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith. He had nothing in his bank account. And if you've been here the last few weeks, right, and the guys, if they've preached Romans 2 and 3 right, Romans 2 and 3 has told us that we are bankrupt. We're not in credit. Our lives before God are in deficit. We are absolutely bankrupt. But God credits into our account righteousness. God gives to Abraham a right standing because he trusted in God's promise. See, Christianity is not like any other religion, and it is totally opposite to how the world works. Religion in the world operates on the principle of justification by works righteousness. Justify why you should be loved and accepted and welcome and forgiven and included. Christianity, on the other hand, is the very opposite. It operates alone on the principle of justification by faith. God justifies you in the work of Jesus that you receive by faith. Justification is completely free. And it comes by way of faith in what God does to save. Now, in this room, right, you might have friends who are not religious people. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're not a religious person. And you might be someone who believes in nothing. You have friends who believe in nothing. And a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm not looking to be justified in life. 
I'm not looking for righteousness, but the reality is that everyone in life is looking for righteousness, Christian or non-Christian, believer or unbeliever, religious or secular, because everyone is looking for some form of justification in life or validation in some form. Everyone is looking to have their worth in life justified in some work, their existence justified in some purpose to live for, their, their acceptance right affirmed in some image or in some person or relationship or in the praise of another in their lives. Everyone's looking for righteousness, for validation and acceptance and love, for justification in some form of life in people, pursuits and possessions. Now, parents, for example, right, they, they, they often look for it in having successful children, academically successful children, because it validates them as good and great parents. Single and even married people look for it in a relationship. It validates their attractiveness because someone loves them. Young people look for it online in their endless posts on Insta and TikTok. That's what keeps people like Terrence at work. It validates their worth and their image and their influence. Uh, professionals look for it in their income. It validates the worth of their work. Yeah, religious or secular, everyone is looking to be justified in life. Everyone is looking for righteousness. A validating performance record in life that says you are special. You are accepted. You are forgiven. Now, let me tell you the problem. We're trying to find your justification in works righteousness in life. It's exhausting. Uh, if you're a parent, let me ask you this question if you're a parent. What happens when your children fail, when they can't deliver and they can't meet the standards you have set for them? It crushes you, and guess what? It might even make you a more demanding parent, which will crush them. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself, for your justification. Uh, if you're single, what happens when you can't find a love relationship? It crushes you because you feel unattractive, and it makes you resentful of others in a relationship. If you're married, what happens when the person you married fails you and doesn't meet your expectations? You stop feeling loved, and it might even make you more demanding that they meet your expectations for you to feel loved. You're not doing it for them, right? You're doing it for yourself to be justified. If you're a worker, what happens when you get a lousy performance review? When you put on, on notice, even though you've worked really, really hard, it crushes you, which will either make you work harder or you look elsewhere to find a place that will validate you. If you're religious, what happens when you fail and fail and fail and fall and fall and fall into sin again and again and again? It crushes you. And you find yourself riddled with guilt as you try harder and harder to be good to make up for your sins. You know, trying to find justification in works righteousness in life is exhausting. Absolutely crushing. It doesn't just leave us tired. Sometimes it makes us resentful and demanding of others as well in our lives, which means justification by works righteousness in life either crushes us or it crushes other people around us. It's a terrible way to live, you know. Can I say to you that there is another way? Notice what Paul says. Paul says, there is a way to always be valued, loved, accepted, forgiven, justified completely. Paul says that. It comes not by your works, but by faith. Not in your work, but in what God does for you in Jesus. How was Abraham justified before God? How was Abraham declared right with God? By faith in God's promise, not by works. 
Abraham trusted God and God credited righteousness into Abraham's account. Valued, loved, accepted, forgiven in the right. That's how justification works in God's economy. We trust the work of Jesus and a great exchange takes place at the cross. Do you know that? We trust the work of Jesus and a great exchange takes place at the cross. Jesus takes on himself our sin, the consequences of our sin, and he dies in our place, crushed and condemned in our place so that we might know forgiveness. But a great exchange takes place because what also happens is we are clothed in his righteousness, justified, declared now right with God. That's what actually happens, right? So Paul says, verse 5, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, if that isn't enough, Paul now moves to David. The reason why he picks David is because David is Israel's greatest king, uh, again, to show us that justification is by way of faith. Uh, That's the unfolding story of the Bible. So he moves from Abraham, now he moves to David. And look at what Paul says in verse 6 to to verse 8. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessing, the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. you really got to underline that, apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count or reckon or count against them. And so he goes back uh, to David, and, and this time what he's doing is he's going to Psalm 32, one of the songs of David, Psalm 32, verse 1 to verse 2. So he says, look, how has David experienced God's blessing of forgiveness? How, how did David experience God's blessing of God crediting him righteousness, God accepting him, loving him, forgiving him, declaring him in the right? Well, look at verse 6. It came apart from works, apart from from works. Now, you have to understand uh, the background to David's life to see the, the radical nature of that verse. The radical nature of God's grace is found in those words, free. God's grace comes freely, freely forgiving David. Uh, in fact, these verses, to be honest with you, I was reading it on Thursday, uh, these verses are scandalous. They are scandalous because God forgives a man who covets another man's wife, who then uses his power and his position to sleep with her, who then covers it up when she gets pregnant, and when that fails, he has her husband murdered, and then he takes her as his wife. Did you know that in the Old Testament, you got the sacrificial system, right? The sacrificial system of the Old Testament makes no provision for such premeditated sin. David coveting Bathsheba, David committing adultery, David then murdering Uriah, her husband. Old Testament sacrificial sacrificial system makes no provision for such premeditated sin. And that's why uh, in another psalm, Psalm 51, Psalm 51 verse 16 verse 17, David actually says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. There's no sacrifice I can bring that will make atonement for my sin. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, because there there are no burnt offerings I can make for my sin. And then he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, when I bring that, 
you will not despise. What, what can you do to justify yourself in David's shoes? What work can you do to atone or pay back or make up for what you've done? The people you've hurt, the grief and heartache you've caused, the guilt and shame you carry. Answer? Absolutely nothing. Because David's case was hopeless. There was nothing he could do. All he could do was throw himself onto the mercy of God. In fact, if you continue reading Psalm 32, and it should actually be there in your outlines, that's what David actually does in verse 5, right? He throws himself on the mercy of God. Look what happens. He says, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up or hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That is scandalous. All David does is he acknowledges his guilt, his sin, and he throws himself on the mercy of God. And what does God do? God does the unbelievable, the unthinkable. You forgave the guilt of my sin. In other words, God does not count David's sin against him. God declares David right with him. He credits David's righteousness. You know, God did not say to David, go and make up for what you've done and then come back after you've done enough to justify yourself. God doesn't say, hey, you know what? You are too far gone. There's no hope now because of what you've done. Your sins are too vile. No. God forgave the guilt of his sin when he confessed it. I mean, I was reading Proverbs this week, you know. I was reading Proverbs 28, verse 13. No, actually, I was reading quite a number of chapters. I got to Proverbs 28, 13, and then I just stopped. Because Proverbs 28, 13 says exactly the same thing. This is the way of the wise. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You hear that? This is the way of the wise. The one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, I'm reminded of that song we sometimes sing here at Grace Point. We're not doing it today. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? What sort of love remembers no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. God doesn't have a tally where he you know, has a stock take of all our sins. Thrown into a sea without bottom ashore, thrown into the deepest of oceans. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's worth remembering, isn't it? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Do you believe that? Do you believe the mercy of God is greater than all the guilt and shame you are carrying in life? Do you believe that? The mercy of God is greater than any past sin that weighing you, that's weighing you down. The mercy of God is greater than the depths and the burden you carry for the hurt and the grief you've caused others. It's really, really hard for people to grasp this. Right? There is no moral failure beyond the possibility of forgiveness in God's economy. That is scandalous. Do you believe that our sins are many, but His mercy is more? And God is able to do that because someone else takes the place of the guilty. Someone else dies for the wicked. 
Someone else is crushed and condemned in the place of the sinner. That's what Jesus does at the cross. He takes himself on himself our sin and he dies in our place. And what he does is he covers us with his righteousness. God does not count or reckon our sin against us because it was placed on Jesus. That's how justification works in God's economy. Now, have a look with me now at verse 9 and verse 12, because Paul now looks at us. Verse 9 and verse 12 is very straightforward. You notice there are two groups of people he mentions, uh, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, right? Uh, Sometimes it's hard to get those two right, uh, because the Jews... Uh, in the ancient Near East, they believed the world was divided into only two groups of people. Uh, if you were, you were the circumcised were the people of Israel, uh, circumcision marked them out as the people of God, the chosen people of God, and the rest of the world, uncircumcised. Okay? The unsaved, those who are not the people of God, those excluded. Now, what happens is Paul raises a question in verse 9. He says, is this blessing of justification? Is this blessing of forgiveness? God declaring us right, is it only for the circumcised, the Jew, Israel, or is it also for the uncircumcised, all people? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? He says, look at Abraham, right? Was he, right? Was he justified before or after he was circumcised? And the answer is, he was justified before he was circumcised. In fact, Abraham was justified, he was declared right with God 14 years before he was circumcised. Before. Actually, the rabbis actually believe 29 years, but 14 years. But this is what Paul is saying, right? If you're a Jew, circumcision doesn't save you. Law-keeping works doesn't save you. Abraham was saved when he was a non-Jew, as he trusted God. And the reason why Paul does this is because he wants us to realize that Abraham is not just the father of the circumcised, he's also our father, the father of the uncircumcised. What, what Paul is doing is applying the principle of justification by faith in Abraham to us. Abraham was saved as a Gentile by faith before he was circumcised as a Jew. Justification by faith has always been God's way, how God has always saved for all people, and it comes by faith. That's why verse 11 and 12, look at verse 11 and 12. He's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them, to you. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Right? The Jew and the Gentile are both saved by way of faith. I don't know if you realize this, but justification by works will always divide people. And that's why in culture and society, because culture and society works on the principle of justification by works righteousness. That's why we live in a divided world. Justification by works is very, very exclusive because it means some people are in, some people are out. Some people are good enough, others are not good enough. The strong who can perform, they're in. The weak you know, who fail, they're out. The beautiful are embraced, the unattractive are spurned. The moral are accepted, the struggling are rejected. The principle of justification by works is the way the world operates and it always divides people. But if salvation is by faith, if justification is by faith and not by works, it means anyone can be saved. Anyone, no matter how bad, how weak, how immoral, how shameful they pass, how broken they are, how unattractive they are, how failed they are. Anyone can be saved because all they have to do 
is trust God's promise to save in Jesus. Justification by faith is always much more inclusive and embracing of all people. Let me highlight some points of application for us this morning. So, uh, if you have your outline over there, have a look at the conclusion. Here's number one. If my justification before God is by faith and not by works, then I must stop trying to earn my way with God. We all do that. That's why we need to be reminded again and again of these truths, right? Uh, and maybe that's, some of you, that's how, how some of you operate this morning. Uh, this is how you handle your guilt and shame in life. You always try to make up for it, or even worse, you bury it, right? And every so often, things remind you of your guilt and shame. So you work harder, you push harder, you do more, you serve more, you try to be better. That is not the Christian way. That is not the Christian way. And it's certainly not what God expects of you. What does David do? He throws himself on the mercy of God. That's what we're called to do each day. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. Keep trusting the work of Jesus each day. Each day, bring your sins. This is why the confession of sin is in your order of service. It's there so that during the week, you can look at it. You can use it as you come in prayer in Bible reading, as you engage with God during the week, throw yourself on the mercy of God. Each day, bring your sins, confess your failures. Don't let guilt make you or drive you to work harder to be a better person. Let guilt drive you to the cross. Trust the one who has made it possible for you to know justification. Your guilt and shame was put on Him. And His righteousness was put on you. Your ugliness was put on Him and His beauty was put on you. Your guilt was placed on Him and His innocence was put on you. Remember each day, your sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Number two, if my justification before God is by faith and not by works, then there must be humility. There must be no room for boasting or pride in my life, right? I contribute nothing to my salvation except my guilt and shame. I only contribute my daily sin and failures in life. That's what I bring. Now, I say this because what do we tend to do in life? In life, we always tend to relate to others on the principle of justification by works righteousness because we always tend to compare ourselves with others and we always think of ourselves better than others around us. All right, look, I don't think we're so crude as to think of ourselves as morally superior, but we often think that we are slightly better than the people around us nicer at the very least. Well, if that's you, you have not understood justification by faith in life. If you have been justified by faith and not by works, it should produce humility in your life. It should produce humility in your relationships. The people you often look down on, despise, deride in your heart, speak ill of, you are not any better than they are. When you look down and despise and deride others in your heart, you are in effect saying there's something about you that makes you a better person, that makes you a person of better standing, better worth, a better all-up person than they are. That's justification by works. Validating yourself by crushing others. But if you've understood Romans 2 and 3, you begin to realize you and I are equally undeserving and ungodly, justified not by our works, but by our faith in what Jesus has done. You know, the doctrine of justification by faith teaches us to walk in humility. Not just trusting Jesus and His work for me, 
but treating others in humility. Showing mercy to others the way God has shown me mercy. Because everyone is equally undeserving, equally godless, equally in need of justification. Are you a humble person? And if you're not a humble person, maybe, just maybe, you, you have not truly understood your justification by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's number three. If my justification before God is by faith and not by works, then it means there is no one beyond God's salvation. The call and offer of forgiveness is not just for people who are morally strong or able to do what is good, but for all who are willing to put their trust in Jesus, no matter their past, no matter their guilt, no matter their failure. You know, religion always says only good people are justified. Only those who are good enough are able to save themselves. Christianity says everyone, everyone, the most offensive, the most depraved, the fallen, the repulsive, the unattractive, the wicked, the evil, the vile, the most godless person can be saved. Not by looking to fix themselves, not by trying to make up for their sin, but simply trusting Jesus and His work for them. Maybe you know someone like that who thinks they're too far gone. Maybe you think like that, right? My life is a mess. People can't see it, but my life is a mess. And you're trying to fix your life before you're willing to come to God. You know, I remember, remember in our baptism classes that we do here at Grace Point, I often say to people who come to my baptism classes, because sometimes I have people in baptism class who are here for a very long time, uh, but who are not baptized. And I often say to them, if you're trying to fix your life, and you're trying to be good enough to feel that you are ready to be baptized, then you have not understood the gospel. You know, because sometimes we think like that, right? I've got to clean up my life, and when my life is cleaned up, then I'll get baptized. Well, you haven't understood the gospel, because baptism doesn't save you. Circumcision doesn't save you. They're both signs. It's a sign of what Jesus does to save. Do you trust Him enough to let Him deal with your sin? If you do, then get baptized. Come under the sign. God is not wanting you to be a good person or be good enough before you come to Him. He wants you to come to Him as you are because only He can save you. Stop trying to save yourself and let Him save you. Right? Who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? No one. Their own soul could heal. No one. Our shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. Remember that. Number four, last one. If my justification before God is by faith and not by my works, then I no longer need to spend my time an effort looking for justification in people and possessions and pursuits, which is what we all do. I no longer need to justify or validate my worth or value or acceptance in anything around me. It's liberating. You know, it's liberating knowing that God has gifted me a righteousness that comes by faith in Him. And if we are honest today, we'd admit that all of us here, we live our lives trying to justify or validate our worth, our value, our existence, our acceptance, and a whole range of things in our lives. In finding a love relationship, in our academic achievement, in our kids, in our career success, in having an online following, in wealth accumulation. You know, the list is endless. The world says to you, justify why you should be paid, X, Y, and Z. Prove yourself in the workplace and you'll be paid accordingly. The world says, justify why you are good enough for me to love you. Justify why you're beautiful enough for me to want you. 
justify why you've got the right skills to be part of this tribe, this group, you know, this job. Prove to me that you're good enough, strong enough, beautiful enough. If, if you're looking for justification in the world, you're going to find that your worth and value and acceptance and love will always be based on works. Your works, your performance, how good you are, how beautiful you are, your ability to meet the expectations of others. And guess what? It will eventually crush you. Justification in God's economy is so different, isn't it? It's the very reverse. Where there is guilt, he says innocent. Where there is ugliness, he credits to you perfect beauty. You might never be beautiful enough in the eyes of others, but God credits to you the perfect beauty of Jesus. You are and you will always be beautiful in His eyes. Where there is filth that crushes you, that fills you with despair, He credits you with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You might never be good enough or worthy in your eyes and in the eyes of others because of some past, some failure, but God credits to you the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You know, I have to remind myself of those truths. I am justified not because I'm good or beautiful or deserving or worthy or better than other people or smarter. I'm justified because God credits and treats me as righteous on account of my faith, my trust in Jesus. I need not look anywhere else. My justification has come in Jesus. All I need to do is trust Him. I think that is the best news ever. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. You have not abandoned us. We thank you that we can come to you in the honest, open transparency of our hearts. In fact, this is what it really means to be authentic to ourselves, to see ourselves for who we really are. In fact, to see ourselves the way you see us, to see that we need saving. So today, we throw ourselves completely on your mercy. We come to you not looking at the works of our hands. We come and we trust your work for us because we know at the cross, Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He also covers us with his perfect beauty, his perfect righteousness. And we give you thanks for that. Amen.